2: everyone and welcome to the ZWC. Today we have two special guests in studio. It's Quinn Curran and John Curran. John is Quinn's father and I met Quinn when she was doing a co-op session at Quinny Way Solutions and she did an excellent job there so it's really cool to see her again and uh, her father is a beef farmer. So if you are a vegan I do respect you very very much for your reasons uh, to opt out of meat. There is so much information out there right now against beef and and it's everywhere you look it seems so there's you know documentaries like cowspiracy and uh, there's lots of things coming out in the CBC saying we should all eat less meat or or not eat it at all but there are some good things about beef and personally I grew up in this area in between beef farms and the farming that I saw growing up is completely different than the farming that I saw on cowspiracy or in the book eating animals that sort of thing so this factory farming stuff it just I've never seen it existing in my area so I just want to make sure that we know what's going on in other parts of the world and that bee farming can be sustainable so Quinn thank you so much for coming on the show
0: welcome yeah thank you for this opportunity and thank you John for coming in
1: yeah good to be here
0: and Quinn, you just finished at Queen's University. Uh, no, I'm actually going into my fourth year starting this September. So, oh, cool. So um, still have one more year to go.
2: Oh, sorry. I thought you'd finish. And you're taking? Biology. Biology. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that's really cool. So you know
0: a lot about uh, nutrition as well, right? That's a big interest of yours? Yeah. So my future goals is to be a naturopathic doctor. So we do a lot of stuff with nutrition and like chronic illness and that sort of thing. So it's definitely up my alley to like learn as much as I can and absorb as much information about foods. So it's definitely nice being able to grow up on a farm and then be able to transfer my knowledge to patient care and nutrition and that sort of thing.
2: And, and animal protein is a healthy part of your diet, I'm assuming. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so John, what, what do you farm?
1: Well, we, we have the beef cattle, which are, uh, Red Devons. They're, they're a heritage breed and, uh, we have, uh, team of draft horses. And over the years, we've had pigs and and chickens and and various things. But uh, yeah, the beef cattle are our main uh, enterprise. And uh, we just rotationally graze them and feed them hay. So it's all a grass fed operation.
2: Awesome. Yeah. So I remember Quinn saying last year, she said, cows don't need anything but grass. <laughs> and and we were talking about it, and I was like, yeah, that's what their four stomachs are for, right? Yeah. Is the grass. And and if we know that cows are eating grass, then we know that they're outside, which is really good for cows because they like to be outside, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And our with our system... We just follow the the rhythms of nature. So rather than you know calving in in the winter time to so that we have these large uh, stalker calves ready for you know an auction barn in the fall, um, we we calve in sync with nature. So May our our calves are coming on the pasture and and the cows are out there. Uh, with their calves on green pasture, eating grass, and they stay on pasture right till usually just after Christmas, which at that point in this area, we do have to feed some hay. But the the more grazing we do, the smaller our carbon footprint. That's our goal is to manage our grasslands so that we feed as little hay as possible.
2: Mm-hmm. And hay is basically just long grass that's been cut and that's right. dried, right?
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, that's what we feed our horses too. So they stay out on pasture, they live their best life, right? That's how those animals are happy in their pastures, eating grass. And then, yeah, in the winter, um, our horses still stay outside because something that a lot of people don't know is that animals can actually stand the cold too. So I'm assuming that's true with cows as well, right?
1: Yep, yeah. And one thing we do is, uh, is bale grazing. It's called bale grazing because you – you're feeding the hay out on your pasture fields. Cows and, and horses, uh, they're well adapted to the cold with their fur coats, but they they need shelter from wind. so we have a protective uh, like a pine bush that's a good windbreak and we bed them down with straws. So they have a nice warm, dry place to sleep and then we feed the hay out in the in the field and what that does is that puts the manure and the scrap hay or those nutrients directly back in the field where they belong um so the the cows have access to the barn anytime they want but they they never spend any time in the barn they're out there in the field and only in the worst storms do they come in the barn by doing that we don't have a barnyard you know that's filling up with manure and running off and uh so you get nutrient loading in one spot You get the nutrients on the field and then you're also not burning diesel to take a loader and a manure spreader and another tractor to spread all that back out on the field. The cows are doing it for you in the same way that grazing is, right? They're they're walking along, eating the grass, so they're harvesting it rather than cutting, raking, and baling and the manure is coming out the back end. They're spreading their own manure where it belongs instead of doing that with a tractor. So you know that's that's how the rotational grazing comes in to reduce that that carbon footprint that uh, you know cattle are are often um, vilified for.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because when you have it sitting in a giant pile, I think that's when it starts to get gross and when it can seep into the ground. And I I do know one of my neighbors had a well. I don't know why, but right in his barnyard. And there was a problem. I think he had a e. coli or something in his in his well, but his, like his cows were right on top of the well, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have those high, high concentrations of manure piles, yeah, um, then I would assume that there would be problems. But it's quite natural for poop to be spread all over fields and bring in nutrients, right?
1: That's right, yeah.
2: So the big thing I think with cows is like methane, right? That's what everybody says.
1: Methane, um Quite often with manure, like large industrial type operations, you get these manure lagoons and most of the methane comes from those lagoons. Now, you know, the cattle, they also burp up methane. There's all kinds of studies out there. I know that uh, methane is, it is part of of a cycle, like when a cow burps the methane goes into the atmosphere, oxidizes into CO2, that goes into the grass, the cow eats the grass. So just like, you know, humans breathe, exhale CO2, we don't count that because it's recycled. Uh, When you're burning fossil fuels, you're taking the carbon from the ground and adding it to the atmosphere. So as long as you're not increasing numbers of cattle exponentially you're not really adding to the atmosphere the cattle numbers nowadays are there you know we actually have fewer ruminants than we did back when bison and that were roaming the plains and building soil and and grasslands but the methane issue i mean it is uh it is an issue for sure like as far as cattle like there's no there's no doubt that they do produce methane but at the same time like a wetland produces methane but yet we don't consider wetlands bad because they have a positive effect on the environment and i can get into with more detail how cattle have a positive impact on the environment
2: Yeah, absolutely. But I just wanted to ask you too. So let me just clarify. So if cows are out in their normal life, and they're eating the grass, then the methane should be part of this natural cycle. What about the cows that are, they never see the
0: light of day? Like,
2: where does that methane go? Does it just get pumped out of the factory farm?
0: Yeah, like the methane units are like you might know more about this because of politics and like Paris agreements and that sort of thing. But like from our research, the carbon unit is like oversimplified and it's used for political deals and like for people to be able to wrap their head around like what is global warming kind of thing. So there's certain Things that we take into account that are supposed to contribute to global warming, but it's oversimplified. Our cows, they're a part of a cycle, so it's not being added to like the net carbon in the atmosphere. So it's it's very confusing and very complex. But because our cows are eating grass, so it's it's a cycle, whereas like a grain-fed cow wouldn't necessarily be a part of that cycle, but it's it's very hard to quantify it's very conflicting so
1: yeah there's actually a really good YouTube video out from New Zealand which explains you know cow burps and farts and it it, it it's a really good video, but you know I certainly don't uh try and and change people's mind like if somebody says they're vegetarian because it's healthier or you know they want to they want to do it because it's better for the environment. I respect that and I agree that uh, we shouldn't be eating steak and eggs for breakfast and hamburgers for lunch and roast for dinner. Like <laughs> vegetables, eating vegetables is important and yeah. and we should think about how much meat we're eating and where it comes from. But the big thing is I, I just can't see. A healthy countryside or a healthy ecosystem without livestock so the fact that cows are being demonized that that's what really bothers me and the and the the way i explain it to people who who aren't farmers is i say okay if i if i take my hundred acre farm and i just plant your veggies for you or soya beans or oats or whatever i plant row crops or cereal crops for you to to be a vegetarian and there's nothing wrong with that but i say how long do you think i can keep doing that and that usually people don't know and they don't realize that every time you harvest these grains or vegetables that you're taking away from the soil and that you have to put something back so then i explain to them you know uh, on our farm we've grown soybeans we've grown wheat but the I- ideal farming is you know corn one year soybeans one year wheat one year um and then and then you turn it into to hay or pasture for five or six years and and, and what that does is that builds soil fertility because you 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 have this perennial polyculture on there. It's not a monoculture. There's there's all different grasses and legumes. And that builds soil fertility and you and I we can't eat those because we don't have a rumen. But a, mm-hmm. a cow can eat those. So why is it wrong to eat those cows who are eating the grass because it's absolutely necessary for a proper crop rotation for healthy farmland because you got to remember there's all that soil life that we need to feed underground as well and the also the other thing that we don't consider is not all farmland is created equal so there there's a, a vast part of the world that the soil is not even suitable for vegetable production or grain production yeah. And cows or any ruminant animal can, can eat that grass on, on those fragile landscapes that are maybe, you know, sandy soil, prone to erosion, these sorts of things. Yeah. People don't understand that, that the cow is a tool for building that soil and for the crop rotations and they put the fertility back and then they also they do it organically through ma- manure because another often a question you say to people well okay if we if we have to put something some kind of fertilizer down for to grow the vegetables would you rather have organic fertilizer or chemical fertilizer and and if you know they say organic fertilizer the manure is is what you have for organic fertilizer and where do you get that without livestock, you know? Well,
2: I think it's fossil fuels, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To make these synthetic fertilizers yeah, yeah. and exactly. I, I don't imagine it's very good for
0: the soil. No, it's no. super, super bad. And no. it's it's a non renewable resource as well. So like you're you're drilling that fertilizer, like it's it's not renewable whatsoever. So it's just like a double whammy. Yeah, you're
1: mining it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so if you
2: have the animals there, then you get a whole bunch of benefits with them. I mean, as long as you take care of them, too, because, you know, in some of these videos you're seeing, it's these big factory farms where they hire workers for minimum wage, you know, and Mm -hmm. they might not care about the animals. They might not treat them that well, you know, but anyone that I've known with a farm around here... Is very concerned about the health and
0: well being mm-hmm. of their oh, yeah. their animals. Yeah, exactly. Like, even this like this spring, we had a calf born, and he he had a birth defect. We found out later, but initially, like he was born. He had a rough birth. He had the vet come out and his head was like, he couldn't hold up his head. My parents had a, a cow chiropractor come out to see if they could adjust his neck oh for him. Goodness. Like everything that we do is for the cows. Like we keep the calves with their moms. Even when the moms are having new calves, we just, instead of separating them, we put weaning rings in. So you don't have that anxiety causing by separating a calf from its mom kind of thing. So like everything we do is to like promote their well being, even though they are for food. We do everything in their lifespan to make them as comfortable as possible.
2: Mhm. Oh, that's so nice to hear. I think that's a big concern about the dairy industry too that I hear a lot about is that you, you know, you separate the cows Yeah, early. So. Yeah, and
1: I know that the dairy industry in Canada, I mean it it's it, it's actually such a good role model for animal welfare like dairy farmers they they treat their cows so well i mean they're they're so comfortable all the time i mean a a dairy farmer wants to keep his cows comfortable because they produce more milk and they and dairy farmers they they actually you know plant mixed crops and hay so there's good land stewardship there they have crops and they have livestock, which is good for the land. And they also, you know, have the quota system where they they market their their product and get a a, a guaranteed price for the farmers, which really supports the family farm. So, I mean, in, in these parts, you can milk 40, 50 cows and support a family on that. Where in the U.S., you know, they're milking thousands of cows. And then so at that point... Yeah, you're hiring staff who really don't care compared to these little family farms that really care about their cows, right? So,
2: yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I just, I the 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 dairy sector, it's I think it's unfairly criticized as well.
2: Well, I think especially in Canada too, because I know that the U.S. uses a lot more antibiotics, and uh, I think hormone growth. Yes. The- yes.
1: Milk in Canada is a completely natural product; nothing's added. Where in the U.S., it's it's not regulated like that. They have, uh, yeah, it's a hormone to make them produce more milk. So, whereas in Canada, none of that's allowed. Yeah,
2: which is kind of why I was disappointed to see that in the new NAFTA they were going to let.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Does that
2: concern you too? Like, oh,
1: it's okay. it's heartbreaking for me to see like Canada has such a great system and the Americans are attacking it and it's like guys your problem is overproduction stop attacking our system right you like they just produce too much milk that's the problem really yeah they can't get enough money for farmers can't stay in business down there and they're blaming Canadians saying well you won't let American milk across the border well the state of California produces more milk than the entire country of Canada. So <laughs> like our like to let their milk come up here, whether well, it's a drop in the bucket, it's not going to help their situation,
2: right? Mm-hmm. So, and we kind of wanna help our own farmers. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean that's kind of protectionist, so I guess I I don't know. Maybe I'll yeah. cut that out.
1: <laughs> but, but Yeah, um. you could go on the that, that whole debate, that's like a whole that's a podcasts. whole other show, as far as that goes. But uh, well,
2: there's so much about farming, and it's so nice to be able to talk to you guys, and I think bring to the world that in our area in Canada, it's not this evil world that you see on TV. And I just want people to know that. And and like like you said, like you're not trying to tell anyone to eat meat. Uh, me neither. I think it's probably better if more people start thinking about other solutions and stuff. I'm I'm just maybe saying like maybe don't attack everyone, because it's not all farms that are doing a bad thing. And then to go back, I actually looked this up on Google, uh, 60% of the world's agricultural land is grazing land. Mm -hmm. That I think would mean that you can't really grow crops That's right. Yeah. So what are we going to do with all that land? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to feed, you know, 7 billion people that's going to turn into 8 billion soon and to raise healthy children and all these things, right? And I've said before, like my my son is First Nations and uh, he... He has had a diet for at least the last 10,000 years, probably a hundred thousand years, really, if you keep going back of, of, of meat products, mm-hmm. yeah, we think, right? Um, so I feel like it, it could be very detrimental to his health. Uh, if I just cut that out as right. an experiment. So for me, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel comfortable knowing that the meat that I buy at the butcher, I buy it zero waste in my own glass containers mm-hmm. and the butchers are very happy to do that for me. And, uh, I know that the meat comes from here. So it's, it's good and healthy. And another challenge that we have up here too is, as a northern nation, cows can live up here, but like coconuts can't. Mm-hmm. So, when you're trying to like find all of these vegetarian or vegan replacements, you're looking at things that grow like, you know, two, 3,000 miles away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you've got the transportation, uh, exactly. carbon footprint
1: involved. Exactly. And that's right. like
0: one of the, the big things that I always say to people is like, you can come to one of your local farmers and say, I want to buy a cow, a half cow, a quarter of a cow. And you can have that all packaged up, drive 30 to 100 kilometers, put it in your freezer for a full year. Sure, the freezer is using hydro, but is having that in your freezer for a year better than shipping avocados, bananas, coconuts across seas so that you can maintain a vegetarian diet happily over over winter months or over the full year kind of thing? Like it's so important to buy local and think about that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so like the when the yeah. new Canadian food guide uh, came out there and the, the the meat is such a small portion of it in in Canada with our winters, I hope that people are going to uh take up canning and and cold cellaring again because because I thought my goodness like I, all I thought about was the food waste, you know, like I even look in our fridge and I see, Oh, look at these, these, uh, leafy greens. I got, I better eat these up because they're going bad or this, these carrots are going soft or you, you look at how quickly the veggies perish. Mm-hmm. And I think about all of the, this stuff getting trucked or flown from Mexico or California and, I think how how on earth are we going to be reducing our carbon footprint compared to you know buying some meat from a local farm that you put in the freezer and it and it's not perishable in comparison to vegetables and uh, it's kind of a lost a lost art the cold cellaring and and uh, canning but people used to put up food. And we didn't rely on the grocery stores so much, so we we really have to, I think, uh, factor in that waste, because with with meat there there's very little waste. Like I can't ever remember throwing meat out because it was rotten, but we thro- I've thrown lots of vegetables out.
2: That's a really I'm good sad point. To say. I've never thought of that before. I mean, you can compost the the bones afterward and. And stuff like that. So, I mean, technically you could have it zero waste. I mean, we have horses and they're zero waste.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well,
2: I think the strings are on the bales. Yeah. Pretty sure those are plastic now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of sucks.
2: Maybe polyester or something. I'm not sure what those are. Uh, I want to go back to the food that, that cows eat and the different things that we give them, which I think would take a lot of plastic too. If you're injecting them with hormones, I would assume that you're having a lot of like medical waste and containers and stuff. Um, But tell me a little bit about like growth hormones and antibiotics. Do you guys know stuff about that? Do you use them?
1: So the reason feedlots will use antibiotics is, and I always sympathize with the guy who's been farming his whole life and He's told by the bank that he needs to be more productive and the consumer wants cheap meat, which we did. We insisted on cheap meat for a lot of years. And these guys scale up their operations to try and give the consumer what they want. And then all of a sudden the consumer says, whoa, 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 no, we don't want this anymore. I do sympathize with those farmers and I certainly don't want to demonize them because I, you know, I know that there, a lot of them are good, hardworking people. But the reason they add antibiotics to the feed is because you've got a high concentration of animals in a confined space. So if one gets sick, it spreads really fast. And number two, when they when they feed a lot of grain or corn, especially to cows, steers are, that they're fattening up, um, so they're really, they're pouring the grain to them to fatten them quickly and that grain causes an imbalance in their rumen. The, the 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 rumen gets acidic and because it's unnatural for a rumen, right, to, to have all this grain, it upsets the pH and it actually eats away at the the lining of the rumen and it can cause blood poisoning in the in the animals. So they're feeding antibiotics to you know, counteract that. But like Michael Ugh. Michael Pollan's book, Omnivore Dilemma, in there he says like a steer at 18 months, 20 months that's ready for slaughter, if you were to actually not send that animal to slaughter... Uh, he said it wouldn't survive because the the intense grain feeding has done so much damage to its liver. Oh my gosh! So really, you're slaughtering and eating an animal that's technically sick, uh. right? So antibiotics, whether it's fed to cattle, pigs, chickens, they just gain better rate of gain when there's antibiotics mixed in with their feed,
2: like weight gain.
1: Yep. Yep. And that's just huh. one of the side effects of it. So that's, a, you know, a positive for someone who's just wants to get as many pounds on as quick as possible. And the hormones are, again, for for growth, for gain, it's for productivity, right? Which, you know, it's part of the, the consumer has demanded that at times. and And now people are starting to wake up. But yeah, I've, I've been to different seminars and things put on. Like we we went to a low uh, low stress uh, cattle handling seminar at uh, Horde Station, where there was a guy there who was teaching you how to move cattle and and get the cattle to go where you need them to go mm-hmm. without hooting and hollering and waving <laughs> sticks and stuff, so that like the whole. It was a great seminar as far as uh, low stress handling, but there was companies there selling hormone implants, right? So they they had uh, these little uh, implants and a gun that that you you can inject underneath the skin, and yeah, the the hormones just they they're there so that so you gain more pounds. Like if you're getting paid by the pound, that's that's what they're there for. So that's why, that's why guys do it.
2: So I read in the book, eating animals that they had this like chicken that just was a mutant, mutant almost like it it had gained too much weight on its top. And so it could like barely walk, but then they took that chicken and like bred it more because they wanted all that weight, exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But then I think it was Peter maybe went in and was seeing all these chickens with like a broken leg because they couldn't even hardly stand up
0: under mm-hmm. their own weight. I think the same thing is with turkeys too. Like they can't even breed naturally now because they're just too big or something. So big. Yeah, they just want them as big as possible. Like that must
2: be horrible. So I think the main thing is like we don't want animals to suffer, right? Yeah.
1: And um, I oh, that's totally understandable why people don't want that. But I guess there was a time when people really didn't look at that and they just – yeah. went to the grocery store and they looked at the price on the package of meat the cheaper it was the better things change and and uh typically they change for the better and it and it's good that uh like i always say the you know the world's not a bad place because of people wanting to to you know be vegetarian or or a vegan i mean they're they're looking they're looking out for animal welfare they're looking out for a healthy environment, and they're looking out for their own health. Those are all really good uh, motives. It's just sometimes the information we get is extreme yeah. and, and inaccurate. Embellished. Um, yeah, embellished.
0: And like, that's what I was saying the other day. We have these micro movements, I find, when it comes to the environment, like the straw thing, which is like, is awesome. Like, I barely go in anywhere now, and I either have a biodegradable straw or a paper straw or no straw. So, like, these small changes happen, but I find people get so absorbed in the headlines that they forget to, like, do their own research and figure out a more well rounded picture of the issue. And I think meat is bad, meat is killing, like, those sorts of things, like don't cut beef out of your life. Those are such finite headlines that they're not even going to the big picture whatsoever. It's mm. just, it's so small-minded that you have to remind yourself like, okay, this is this is a headline that I see. How am I gonna be an observational reader about this? And I feel like coming from a science background, like you learn to do your research about things and it can totally get lost. So I don't know, like it's, it's very, I find it very difficult when people are saying meat is bad because it's definitely not. Nutritional studies themselves are done are very hard to do because you can't lock people in rooms for 20 years and feed them a set amount and then see what happens. Like it's just totally impossible. So even the more recent one is like, it was, I think the headline was literally like meat kills. And so these epidemiological studies, in order to have a valid result, it has to be 100% or 200% increase in order for it to be valid. So this study, 10% increase in risk is what it said, but then it's saying meat kills. That's, that's not even true. Like, if you do the studies around smoking, 2,000 to 3,000% increase in risk if you smoke. That's a, that's, wow. a, that's a correlation. A 10% is not. And even, too, like, other scientists have looked at that study, and the reporting that the people in the study have given is, like, starvation portion. It's not even valid reporting on the person's eating. So it's just like there are so many studies that are easily debunked when it comes to meat. And then you really have to like, be aware of that and know what to look for in order to like sift through it because nutrition is very confusing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But I think at heart, like as human beings, we are omnivores. Lots of veggies, some meat, reducing your meat consumption is not a bad thing. Eating beef or pork or sheep that's locally grown, grass-fed, there's good sources of protein and there's bad sources of protein. You need to take everything back into context and just eating a well-balanced diet and trying to get your amino acids and your vitamins, like, is just the best thing that you can do. So, Quinn, there's a vitamin that we need to get from
2: meat, right? It's like B... B12. 12 is that it? Yeah. And you can also get it
0: from like dirt, I think. Do you know anything about that? Not really. Like currently I'm working in a naturopathic doctor's office. And so we do like have to supplement B12 to quite a few people, especially if you are on a vegetarian diet. So it is something that you do have to get from meat. And so one of the biggest things with vegan and vegetarian diets is if you're not eating Any animal protein, you're only getting short-chain amino acids. You're not getting any long-chain amino acids. So you can get them from only plants. It's very specific combinations of things, and I'm not well-versed in that whatsoever just because I've never needed to know how to do that. But yeah, so there are certain things that plants are lacking that you need to get from animals, and you can get them, but it's super specific. Studies have said that like you need 30 grams of protein per meal in order to protein synthesize Properly. Mm -hmm. So that's super important for building muscle and just regular daily function. So you could eat a small chicken breast or half chicken breast. To get 30 grams of protein from beans, you have to eat like three cups of beans. So, in order to get the same amount of protein that you would need to be a quote unquote healthy person, it's much more difficult. So, I don't know a vegetarian that's eating three cups of beans each meal. It's hard that way to make sure you're getting enough nutrition. Yeah. Legumes and that sort of thing have a much higher glycemic index like whereas beef and chicken don't have that at all. Like they don't raise your blood sugar. Whereas beans are so high in carbs that they do. So there's like pros and cons to each. Yeah,
1: and I'm sure there'd be a lot of vegetarians out there that would say, you know, would would have lots to tell us about how how they balance their diet for sure. And I would never argue to like the science tells us that there's benefits to eating more plants. And the argument with meat is I understand the argument that if, you know, you take a hundred acres and you plant beans, the amount of people that you can feed with that pile of beans might be more than than if you grow grass and graze cattle on it. But that's still doesn't answer the question of long-term sustainability and proper crop rotation because there will be a downward spiral at some point you can only grow those crops on that land for so many years before you get soil erosion and and uh, loss of fertility and even just you know I'm not much a one for stats and numbers because you can you kind of get all kinds of different ones uh, mm-hmm. here and there and, and contradictory ones oh yeah and, but one like one thing I know for sure is when it comes to soil organic matter like our farm before we bought it it was just rented out and cash cropped year after year after year and when we did soil samples we were very low in fertility and organic matter we were 1.5% organic matter and now we're up to you know 2 to 3 so we've doubled it in some fields and just so like people understand what our organic matter is the 1% increase in soil organic matter that soil can capture a hundred thousand liters of water with each rainfall, more per acre. So you're building this resilient uh, soil that's drought resistant and and it's organic matter that that creates fertility in the soil. It's extremely important, and without that, the soil life just dies.
2: So are cows all you need? for organic matter like would with-
1: i mean you could spread chicken manure and uh or compost or pig anything like manure. that yeah exactly uh the leaves that are collected in town and composted you you could put leaf compost on the fields for fertility but the the beauty of a cow and they say cows are inefficient but if you took your lawn clippings and put them in a compost pile it would take you quite a while to compost them the cow it's eating the grass and coming out the other end of the cow is manure. In a span of 8 to 24 hours, you're turning that grass into the perfect compost. Like cattle manure, the nutrients are immediately available to the plant. There's no decomposition needed. It's full of bacteria and microbes that the soil needs. So that's a, that's a pretty amazing thing, how quickly the cow creates that compost perennial forages are part of what's building this the soil well the thing with perennial forages grasslands so whatever grass you see above the ground it has the same root system below the ground so if you're walking through a field like quite often we move our cows the grass is you know half three quarters of the way up the side of the cow well that's root system it goes that deep into the ground and when the grass gets grazed, the roots die back, and that energy is used to regrow the grass. And so all that dead root system becomes soil orga- organic Almost. matter. Almost.
2: Yeah.
1: And, oh, cool. and it's also sequestering carbon at yeah. the same time. So the cow is, is an amazing tool for soil health on the farm. I don't think there is a better animal for soil health than than the cow. So if we were to get rid of cows, it's just, it's not the answer to a healthy environment, right? Um, Mixed farming is the answer to, to healthy, healthy land. And I always say to people, I say, you know, do you think that biodiversity is important for a healthy environment? And, you know, of course the answer is yes. I mean, we need biodiversity and many, many species for a healthy environment. Every time we lose species, it's not good for the environment. So how can you take livestock away from the countryside and expect to have a healthy ecosystem there when, when you're removing the animals? it just, It just doesn't make any sense. I do understand... That when it's not done properly, yeah, it creates a problem. Like I understand if people are driving past a field full of cattle and they see that the cows have chewed every last bit of grass out of the field, and there's nothing left there for them to eat, and they're waddling through the creek and defecating in the creek, and definitely the cows can be detrimental to the environment. But uh, you know, it's not the cow; it's the how. Right? It's how. It's how people manage. The livestock and 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 done right, it can be beneficial, and that's where I think people people should uh, get to know get to know their local farmers and make choices that way.
2: Yeah,
0: Quinn, you were saying how many cups of beans did you need to eat for a chicken breast? It's like about three cups of beans to get thirty grams of protein. About, yeah. and yeah. you were saying about three three times a day, you would want to eat three cups of beans, like for every meal. Like you're technically supposed to have thirty grams of protein. <laughs> so I'm I'm just trying.
2: I'm laughing because I have an eight year old and. I just can't imagine being like, here are your three cups
0: of beans, son. Yeah. Like, this is what you're eating. Like, he wouldn't – like. I don't think any anyone does that. And, like, you can supplement for sure with, like, soy protein. But then again, like – I don't want to give too much soy to my kid because yeah, he's a boy. Too much mm-hmm. soy. And then you're also, like, these types of, like, even, like, pea protein. You're still cash cropping, you know? So, like, instead, why don't you buy half a cow from a farm? It's grass-fed. Soil regeneration, like there's so many benefits to the environment if that is your concern. If you're not eating meat because you feel uncomfortable with the fact that, like, an animal is being killed in the process, different, kind of a different story, you know? But, yeah, um, which I respect because it's, it's sad. And you know what? I don't want to kill a cow. So, no, like, thank you for doing it because,
2: uh, I would say that millions of us wouldn't be able to. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. It's I not mean, a cool thing.
1: No. And it, uh, so Quinn. She she became a vegetarian for a little while. I don't know how old were you? Uh
0: probably like fifteen. It was like a two year thing. That's like the rebellious teenage yeah. age.
1: Yeah. And oh, then yeah. so then uh, I, of course, dad was like, "Oh come on, you got to be, you got to be kidding, <laughs> kidding me." And uh, but then I said, "Okay, well you know what? I respect." I respect your choice, and I understand that uh, she didn't want to kill cows. And I, I said to her, "Well, I said, you know, when I load some steers on the truck and I and I drop them off at the abattoir, I mean, I think any any normal feeling, thinking human being should feel some something for the animal. Like I, I feel bad when I when I drop them off. I struggle with it, but." uh you know a lot of my guy friends might laugh at me but uh i've told my kids i understand that part that tough part but um at the same time i always ask myself for for anything in life you say okay well if i'm not happy with this you know what's the alternative and in the way i see it on this planet there isn't really an alternative. I mean, yes, we can all eat plants, but if there was no meat eaters, for instance, you have wolves that are meat eaters, and without wolves in Algonquin Park, deer and moose would eat themselves out of health and house and home, then what happens to them? Well, they slowly starve to death in the wintertime which is pretty ugly. It's, it's not a good way to go. And so all those beautiful herbivores, the only reason they exist is because of predators, right? I mean, say wolves eat caribou. If they didn't, the tundra could not survive. The, so there's a balance to nature. And, and I always like said to my kids, well, if we didn't eat cows and pigs and chickens would there be any cows or pigs or chickens? Because we're not,
2: yeah, exactly. people
1: aren't going to have them in their backyards as pets. Well, you could have chickens, I suppose, or a pet pig. But I mean, really this whole cycle of life and death, it's all there really is on on this planet, right? Things, things have to live and things have to die in a cycle. And so, you know, that's how I come to terms with, with eating meat because the, I don't see the alternative as better. If I, like I said, if I just said, okay, I'm vegetarian, I'm getting rid of the cattle and we're just gonna grow vegetables and a roadside stand. Well, that only works for so long, you know? And so really.
2: And what if we, what if we figure out that actually we really do need meat? Like what if we all go vegetarian and then we figure out that like, Something is really wrong with our diets and we have to go back. But then there's like no more cows because we just bred them out of existence. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and sometimes they told us for so many years that fat was bad for us. And then now they're starting to backpedal on that. I feel that it's it's almost arrogant to be human and think that we have it all figured out. Like, because we, we really don't. Sure, it's important to reduce our carbon footprint. I mean, I'm not... I'm not arguing with the scientists whatsoever that, that we cannot just keep burning fossil fuels. We cannot keep going on this in the same direction. But we also have to not throw away what's important and valuable and essential to a healthy environment and an ecosystem. And, and you know, just from what I see on the farm, you couldn't have that without cows.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a new documentary. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix. It's on somewhere. It's called Fat. Have you guys seen that? No. I think no. you'd really like it. It's about the keto diet, and it's about a famous Hollywood filmmaker whose son had really bad problems, and then they they struggled for years and years, put him on the
0: keto diet, and then he was fine. Yeah. One thing that I see now, like especially like being on a farm and like knowing where my food comes from, is people forget that food is nourishment. It's not just something that we eat to get rid of hunger. What we're putting into our bodies is what our cells are using to keep our organs functioning, to keep a healthy microbiome. Like it's so important. And so Mm -hmm. I think people continuously forget that. So there are lots of stories where people have like autoimmune disease and chronic illness and MS. And they figure out like, these are the diets that are gonna tailor to me. I'm gonna eat lots of this or lots of this. And their, their chronic illness can be like not reversed or eliminated, but can be aided. And things like diabetes, like type two diabetes is a very preventable disease. It's very serious when you are diagnosed, but it is super manageable with proper diet. And so I think people forget that when people talk about meat and stuff at our core, like we are omnivores. So I think that we should eat meat, eat vegetables and be well balanced eating whole foods, knowing where your food's coming from, not eating processed foods at all like things that come in boxes and there's a list of ingredients eight miles long (laughs) don't eat that so when people say meat kills bring it back into context are you saying that like mcdonald's burgers kills because probably but are you saying like grass-fed beef from a local farm kills i don't think so but that's also just my opinion it's very like you can there's so many studies that are for both sides that you can find to back up Mm -hmm. your argument
2: Yeah, I I think it's important to have fats in our diet and to have, you know, everything that we need mixed in there. And uh, I think the thing that scares me most about the vegan diet is that there have been some parents charged with manslaughter. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it, but they were breastfeeding their baby and the baby did not live. Oh, really? Yeah, you can Google it. So if you're listening and wondering about it, it's very scary for me. So like I said in the beginning, I very much respect people who don't want to eat animals because it's cruel. You don't want animals to die. And I get that and I I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, But I also just am concerned about like children and babies and just I want to make sure that they're getting everything Mm -hmm. that they need. And we know that meat helps with that. And especially in our area, uh, like you said, we have lots of dairy farms, family farms, things like that. So having that balanced diet has worked, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. all the old people in my family live till quite old and they're fairly healthy. Yeah. So we know that those diets work. Yeah. But now, you know, 2019, we're like trying to change them and juggle them around. And I just think we need to be careful with it.
1: Yeah, 100%. yeah exactly. And yeah. like,
0: that's the thing, like, especially with vegans, you have to make sure that you're combining the right foods. Or you're you're literally deficient in essential amino acids. That's a really bad thing. And like those sorts of things like lead to chronic illness and nutrition deficiencies. A huge thing too is the higher amount of muscle you have going into middle age and elder elderlyhood, the less that those sorts of illnesses will affect you. So it's super important to have muscle mass, even like for your metabolism and that sort of thing. Like muscle is so important and like a huge factor in muscle creation is protein and protein synthesis. So like that's why you see like all these bodybuilders drinking their whey after they work out so that they can protein synthesize to build more muscle. So if you're not getting that nutrition – How are you supposed to be healthy, you know?
2: But then have you heard the argument about, well, look at this like giant gorilla, like he's a vegetarian. How did he get so big and muscly?
1: The gorilla, though, um, has also evolved eating that, whereas humans, we've been omnivores for a long time. And so, you know, I would like to kind of fast forward 40, 50 years and just see how all the the vegan diets are working out because you know i know a lot of guys in their 90s who ate meat their whole life and probably lots of butter and and they were physical but you know just physically active and hard workers right and but again right it's like someone who who chooses that lifestyle you know i totally totally respect it i just like them to think a little bit about whether they're going to demonize so you make that choice to for a lifestyle just you know be careful about how much you you start slinging mud at you know the farmers and the people who choose to continue to eat meat right it it works both both ways i find that a lot of times the the vegans are far more critical of me than I am of them.
2: And who's probably going to stand to lose the most? If there's a huge backlash against meat, do you think it's going to be the billion dollar industry down in Texas that's going to fold? Or do you think it's going to be the little tiny it, farmer that it, can't keep up
1: anymore? Exactly. It's the and little it's family farms. Yeah.
2: That might be more at risk. And it's it's those farms that are doing it right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So that's a, another risk too. But yeah, I mean, and what you're saying about evolving, like maybe, maybe we could evolve to be vegans. But I would think that evolving would take a few thousand years. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't. It know. takes a very long time, to, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. A, a very long time. <laughs> I'm
0: just thinking of like Galapagos and like the little like you know those the birds finches. And, yeah, yeah the the finches. Bees. Oh yeah, like <laughs> learn lots about evolution. But no, it's like a very, very slow process, evolution. Yeah. But For the I most part. I don't know. Part. Maybe,
1: maybe uh, way if you look way into the future with uh it's a thorny issue you know to this whole talking about how we're going to feed the population and you know maybe maybe one day we will be eating crickets or things made in a petri dish i i don't know i certainly don't like to think about uh about that but i think um for the here and now i i i think there's still a a ton of opportunity to support the family farm and improve the the environment at the same time yeah there's a huge opportunity there
0: yeah Yeah. I, i think a big thing too is like take an ecosystem approach to everything our farm we take an ecosystem approach where it's not just a monoculture it's not just cow equals meat like it's no cow equals eating grass which preserves land which sequesters carbon which the one one of the huge arguments about beef is that It's inefficient. We learn in school that food chain perspectives are way too simple, way too simple. So, yes, there is a loss of energy as you're transferring up a food chain. It does, in theory, take more energy to grow a cow than it does to grow a soybean. Yeah. But what else is happening, you know? And I think people forget that.
1: Yeah. I think also if, like, people are concerned about, you know, what's dying – I think what a lot of uh, people don't understand is, so for instance, on our farm, our cows are grazing and we're not fighting the wildlife. So you can walk through our pastures and hay fields and you'll find deer and deer fawns. You'll find turkeys and turkey nests. You'll find all kinds of ground nesting birds. You'll find snakes and frogs and all of the wahawks and all of the wildlife. And I have moved the cows from one section of grass to another section of grass. And in the old section where they have grazed, there's little fledgling birds flying out and moving with the cows into the longer grass. So you take someone who grows vegetables. Like I, I know this vegetable farmer And he's just constantly fighting everything, right? He's got propane cannons that are, they just, they're on a timer and they blast Mm. off and to scare the birds away. And he's always fighting all of the insects and, and he's fighting all of the pests and tilling in between the rows of veggies to keep the weeds away. And so in those row crops of vegetables, it's a wildlife desert, right? and a grassland is anything but a wildlife desert right i mean even on our farm too we have a little spring fed creek and right now there's a beaver in there he's damming it up so we got a couple nice ponds and the the cows are all fenced out of that wetland we have gullies where we have all kinds of mixed vegetation and like a few years ago we planted uh 2800 trees in these gullies and we have uh, hardwood bush and and it's not just grasslands, right? We have woodlots as well, and yeah. and I think people don't understand that they they think by eating something that's made out of soy that somehow there's no impact, and there's still an impact if we're growing food for ourselves. There's always going to be some kind of impact, and. I, I think it's too easy to say, okay, I've solved the problem now. Vegetarian, I'll have you know, everything's okay now. It's all good, right? It's just it's just not the case, um, especially if you've never actually you know spent time on a farm to see what's going on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a picture on the story of stuff of indonesia and there are three different kind of grass huts and they have smokestacks coming out of each with black smoke like thick absolutely black smoke and it's a tofu factory and the black smoke is coming from plastic bottles that are being burned as fuel wow you can go in the story of stuff and check it out uh and if you haven't been on there the videos are great but yeah so so who knows Mm -hmm. what's happening upstream yeah. Um, so if you know the farmer and you know what's happening upstream, then you know it's better. I have chickens now myself. I used to go to a Mennonite family and get my eggs. And I know the family. I know where they come from. And I feel very, very good about that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you are living in a city with millions and millions of people, how do you get to know your farmer? Mm-hmm. So do you guys have like a vision, like sustainable farming going forward to feed
0: billions of people? It's hard to say because it's it's not. I don't think it's ever going to be a perfect world in terms of farming, like because there is such a huge demand. But I think with the growing desire from consumers to become more sustainable, like our agriculture system currently is a product of societal demands. So by changing that perspective, I think there there will be a shift to more sustainability. Will all beef be, be grass fed? probably not. But I think like one thing that you can do, like if you want a super high quality protein that would be considered more sustainable in the sense that you're using the whole animal, like organ meats are super duper healthy. Like they're way better than any sort of muscle meat that you can eat. Using things like that, like more like nose to tail eating, I think is like a super good thing to do rather cool. than just focusing on muscle meats, you mm-hmm. know? Um can I ask you a question about liver then? Because you probably know. Isn't liver like a filter? Yeah. So how is
2: it
0: like wouldn't it have bad things in it that is filtered out or is that not how it works? No, like I don't I don't actually know a hundred percent. I feel like you know well, that
1: dad uh, the it, it potentially can have bad things in it like the Like if
0: the cow uh, is an alcoholic or well,
1: something? Well <laughs> I I I know with deer, the Ministry of Natural Resources tells hunters you know, not to eat too much deer liver because it can be high in cadmium. Like you say, it's a filter. So if there are pollutants or chemicals, the they, they can obviously show up in the liver, I guess. But, you know, it goes back to health of the land. If If you have animals yeah. on clean, healthy land, like I've always said, healthy soil grows healthy food. And that goes the same for a cow, in its meat or its milk, you know, or or chicken, or free-range chickens uh, that my daughter used to grow. I mean, those they used to forage for insects and. those yolks were bright orange and you know the marketplace had a show where they they took all the different kinds of chickens and tested their eggs for nutrients and the free range organic ones were highest in nutrients so i think i think if, if if you're you're buying meat or eggs or milk from animals that are on healthy soil um i think that's probably your best defense and in knowing that your your meat is is going to be good and your liver for that matter i guess organ meats are just
0: way more nutrient dense like so how much nutrition you're getting per calorie is way 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 higher um than any muscle meat so and we just we kind of throw that sort of stuff away now like not a lot of people eat it so i think that's probably something that you can do like just eating more of the animals you have to use less of the the mainstream products that you would use
2: Mm -hmm. yeah we always love to make soup all winter long so we'll boil either a beef bone and make beef and barley soup or we'll we'll use the rest of the chicken Mm -hmm. after we make a big roast but when I get them from the Mennonite family they don't come with the the organs but do you guys eat some of the beef organs
0: at all oh yeah we get the heart and stuff and the liver and
2: yeah wow well I did kind of grow up in the same area, and I I wanted to bring you guys on because, I mean, we had cows coming up to, to our backyard, our neighbor's cows, and I used to move them on horseback with my neighbor, and that was so much fun, yeah. and there are so many cool relationships you get to see on a cattle drive, so you get to see the cows interacting with each other, and they're walking, they're doing a normal moving thing, so I don't think that they were too stressed out, and then there's a relationship between the horse and the cow, so mm-hmm. as a 12-year-old, you know, I wasn't like cutting them in and out or doing anything fancy, I would just go ahead and like stand in a driveway. Yeah. But then I just, I remember this one cow one time was like, I'm going to come in your driveway. And my horse was like, no, you're not. And like nipped at the cow and the cow was like, okay. Oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> so wow. they have this like little relationship going on and I wouldn't trade the way that I grew up for the world. Yeah. You know, it was so cool to see. And so when I read all these things, I do think that the good farmers are being demonized and lumped in with the category of these really bad factory farms that I don't think are very nice. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I don't know if family farms can feed everybody. So maybe if we all eat less meat and then just try and pay a little more for the better meat, like that kind of thing. Like I would gladly pay more if I know that the animal wasn't tortured. I actually don't even buy grocery store meat anymore. After Mm -hmm. reading that book, Eating Animals. Yeah. I, uh, what happens in those places is not good. Um, right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the the feeding feeding the population question, that's a tough one. You know, I don't know what the future holds, but I, I do believe that we will become more innovative and creative with the uh, new new farming techniques and better farming techniques. But I, I and I, I think livestock will always have a place in that the way i see it we could make huge leaps and bounds just by not wasting so much because yeah you hear different stats but the up to 50 to 60% of uh food is is wasted right so there's always this you know i know like the conventional farmers like to say well you know we could never feed the world with organic farms We need more and more production, but yet farmers often are getting next to nothing price-wise for grains. The prices are so low because we're overproducing it all and uh, we're wasting a tremendous amount of food. So if, if we find better ways to get food from the farm to the consumer and people find better ways to preserve that food, we could go a long way to feeding the population just just with that alone.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Quinn and John, for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for it's, having us. It's just so wonderful to hear that you take care of the cows and Quinn, you take care of the animals. You want to have the cows be at their best life mm-hmm. and the most natural the most natural way they can yeah um so i think that's great and i think that that is a sustainable way that we can still move forward with beef absolutely 100 percent. so thank you
1: yeah thank, thank you. you It was a pleasure
2: If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean. You can find me on Patreon. Or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world.
0: Change starts now.
1: This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.